You are listening to CITR FM and uh, on your computer, www.citr.ca. Stay tuned now for, well, you guessed it, The Jazz Show, a feature every Monday night with your host, Gavin Walker, coming right up. Thank you. 
We would like to welcome you to another edition of The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. And we uh, are here every Monday night with some of the very best in jazz music. My name is Gavin Walker, and we have a lot to cover this evening, and we hope that uh, in the three hours that we are allotted that we can do all what we have planned for this evening. Our jazz feature is celebrating what would have been the 99th birthday of a lady who has been called the voice of jazz. And I'm talking about Eleonora McKay, better known as Billie Holiday. Billie Holiday was just one of those incredible musicians who came along very much like someone who she was associated with, Lester Young. They seemed to come out of the blue, and they had natural talent. Billie Holiday was an untrained singer, and um, she had a a rather um, abusive, uh, actually a horrible early life, and yet she emerged uh, in 1933 with her first recording as a singer that attracted not only um, fans, but other musicians. They saw in her a kindred spirit, and uh, Billie Holiday went from there. Of course, her life was a mixture of uh, ups and downs, triumph, tragedy, all that kind of stuff. It's it's pretty well documented, and one can read uh, a number of biographies about Billie Holiday. But the music stands forever. And what we're going to feature this evening are some of what is considered her finest recordings. These are the Commodore recordings. Now, that was a small record label that was run by a gentleman named Milton Gabler. Milton owned a record store in New York, but he was also became a producer of very fine Um, albums and very fine discs and he seemed to he was one of those people like Oren Keep News or Alfred Lyon or Bob Weinstock understood um, musicians and understood what they wanted and was able to uh, produce recordings of uh, music that they were proud of and these recordings done for this small label um, are considered some of Billie Holiday's finest recordings. And that's going to be our jazz feature this evening. Uh, They begin with a session of four uh, tracks done in 1939, and then later on um, in March and April of 1944. And, uh, of course, Billie was an incredible voice in those days. And the songs that she picked, um, along with her producer and friend, um, actually delivered a product that will not be forgotten, even in the incredible legacy of Billie Holiday. So that's going to be our jazz feature this evening, the Commodore Master Takes by Billie Holiday and her band. And we'll get to all the details 
uh, at 11 o'clock on the Jazz Feature Time. But we're going to open the show this evening with a very long piece of music. Now, I've been playing a lot of Charles Mingus on the show from various periods. This, I guarantee, has never been heard on radio before. And I actually have a little tip of the hat to my good friend Ron Hearn for making this available to me to present it to you. This is a band uh, that Mingus had um, in the early 70s. Now, we must understand that in 1966, Mingus basically called it quits. Uh, His health uh, was broken. He was under tons of medication. He was putting on weight like you wouldn't believe. Uh, He was discouraged with the music business, discouraged with his own career. Uh, He had... He felt that he had nothing to live for, but, uh, of course, (laughs) he kept going. But uh, in terms of music, um, he basically packed his bass away. Um, He quit writing, quit playing, uh, and virtually disappeared from the jazz scene. Um, He, of course, continued to live in New York. People used to see him riding around in Greenwich Village on a bicycle, um, that sort of thing. Uh, unfortunately, in the late 60s, and this has been documented, um, in 1966, he was evicted from his apartment for a variety of reasons, um, none of which were his fault. It was simply a matter of not understanding the uh, agreement and all this kind of stuff. And he was virtually put out on the street, exactly, with all his possessions dumped on the street, this, this great artist. And, of course, it was a, a horrible, tra- uh, traumatic experience uh, for Mingus. Um, not long later, through uh, the auspices of friends and so on, he managed to find a, another secure um, place to live and recovered about 80% of his possessions. But in the interim, he met a young lady who was totally opposite to Charles Mingus. She was from a very wealthy family. She was extremely well-educated, several university degrees. She was a practicing journalist, and she she met Mingus at a party and had no idea who he was. She was attracted to this man and yet wasn't attracted. Um, Mingus was rough-hewing, he was um, crabby, um, didn't, didn't speak very much, very diffident, and she was very outgoing, conversational, intelligent. Uh, she was a member of the intelligentsia. Mingus certainly wasn't, although he was brilliant, uh, but she had no idea who he was, but somehow she was attracted to Charles Mingus, and eventually they Um, continued to see one another, although it was kind of touch and go, but Sue Mingus, who became, uh, who married uh, Charles Mingus and became his last great love, actually was inspiring to Charles. And in the late 60s, um, he realized that he couldn't really do anything else 
to make a living except play music. He Obviously, Charles Mingus could never work in, in an office, although he did work at the, in the post office at one time. But <laughs> there were a lot of things that he couldn't do. One thing he could do, and of course he was brilliant, uh, was play music. And so he began to play it again. He lost a lot of his ability on the bass, um, but decided to do a few gigs and put together a band. Uh, the music was not particularly inspiring. It was kind of run-of-the-mill. Minkus took no solos because he, his chops were had disappeared virtually. Um, but he was he was spurred on by by Susan Mingus, who encouraged him. Uh, she finally found out who he was, by the way, and uh, <laughs> encouraged him to continue. And so he um, eventually regained his uh, musicianship, his authority, and his ability to put together some great bands, and eventually came back on the jazz map. And by 1970, Mingus was once again uh, an entity, and a powerful entity. Now, many people said, well, you know, he's kind of a figure of the past, but people knew better. Uh, Mingus was uh, a very incredible and very unique musician. And um, as I said, he, uh, he did a couple of tours of Europe. Um, there, were, there was an interest in recording him again, and the rest is history. And Mingus continued and continued to grow until his eventual demise and eventual fall um, when he was uh, stricken with ALS and had to completely retire from playing, and eventually passed away in 1979. So we're going to take you back to 1972. Now this is Mingus uh, with his powers fully regained and a great band. This was recorded in France uh, at Le Arnis de Chibides in Nice in France, July 20th, 1972. It was a jazz festival. And um, this was broadcast, actually, on uh, uh, France Musique, which was a, a, a radio broadcast facility. And we're going to hear this incredible version of one of Mingus's anthems, The Fables of Phobos. This is a tune that he played literally thousands of times, but this is a, a particularly interesting version. It's 40 minutes long, and... It takes you in every direction possible. Uh, the music is angry. It's satirical. It's funny. It's slapstick. Um, it's joyous. It's sad. It covers, this one piece covers all these emotions, as only Charles Mingus could do. And this incredible band including a young trumpet player. He was still a teenager of the time. He was a prodigy of Dizzy Gillespie, um, and he had chops galore. The only thing he sacrificed uh, was a, a big, deep sound, and but the chops were incredible. He's uh, a fine musician today. Uh, he can do anything on the trumpet that is required. His name is John Fattis, and he was a kid when this was recorded. 
On alto saxophone is uh, a very dear friend of mine that I communicate with a lot. He lives in San Diego. One of the greatest alto saxophonists in the world today, as far as I'm concerned, and that's my good friend Charles McPherson. He is on here as well. On tenor saxophone is a gentleman who sadly uh, died quite young, died of cancer. And he was in the band. He was... uh, the, his only other accolade was that he played uh, in Woody Herman's band for a few years. But he joined Charles Mingus, and he has a unique voice on the tenor saxophone, and his name, Bobby Jones. On piano is a wonderful player who is not known at all. It's a discovery of Charles Mingus. His name, John Foster, and I think you'll enjoy his work on here. He's an incredible pianist. On drums is not Danny Richmond. Danny was working with a rock band in England at the time, and uh, he and Mingus were apart. Danny had his own career happening in England. He was working with the Almond Brothers. He was working with uh, uh, um, different people in, uh, in England, uh, and he was away from the Mingus fold for a few years. So the drummer on here is an incredible a uh, musician from Detroit, one of the mainstays of the Detroit jazz scene, Roy Brooks on drums. So this very long introduction by yours truly um, is over. And we're going to get to the music right now. And here is this incredible version of Mingus's Fables of Fathers. Sit back and enjoy this because uh, he'll take you all kinds of places.
our first salvo this evening, and a long one, Charles Mingus and the Jazz Workshop, as they sounded July 20th, 1972, at Les Arènes de Simenez in Nice, in France, um, obviously at a jazz festival, and that was uh, made possible by France Music Broadcast. And, of course, this uh, music was made available um, to you to hear by my f- good friend Ron Hearn, who made it available to me to present it to you. Charles Mingus and the Jazz Workshop with the young 19-year-old John Faddis on trumpet, my good friend Charles MacPherson, who took the first solo on alto saxophone, the incredible Bobby Jones on tenor saxophone, John Foster on piano, and one of the icons of Detroit jazz, Roy Brooks on drums, and of course, Mr. Mingus on bass, taking Fabus everywhere. Of course, this piece was written in 1957 by Mingus as a reaction to the segregationalist uh, Governor Faubus of Arkansas, uh, who prevented, um, brought in the National Guard. They were going to integrate a, an elementary school with four young um, elementary school age um, black girls or black folks. And Faubus brought in uh, the National Guard, which at the time he had control over, to prevent this. And President Eisenhower at the time nationalized the National Guard and said, no, this is a federal issue, and actually brought, brought in, changed the whole structure of the National Guard and brought in, um, again, the federal National Guard to protect these young women from going in, uh, young people from going into the school and uh, integrating. And, of course, that was the beginning of the end for the infamous um, Governor Faubus. But um, Mingus saw this as a symbol of what was going on in in the South, and he wrote this uh, satirical piece of music, which, of course, has had many, many, many interpretations. And that's why all the different moods on here were, um, they were, Sad, they were happy, they were funny, um, satirical, um, slapstick, all of this kind of stuff, sort of representing the whole spectrum of that ridiculous charade, segregation. And um, this was an incredible performance by Charles Mingus, who by 1972 had once again uh, risen to... Um, authority and influence in jazz music and continued to do that until his untimely death in 1979. So we hope you enjoyed that uh, long segment. It took you many places and uh, was like a musical trip uh, all over the place. And uh, certainly hope you enjoyed that and the performance of all the great musicians that uh, were in that edition of the Jazz Workshop. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. Before we get into the next uh, segment of the show, I'd just like to tell you a a couple of uh, local gigs that are happening. There's a wonderful group called Trilogy. Uh, 
which is involves bassist Jody Prosnick, uh, Miles Black on piano, and Bill Kuhn on guitar. And they're going to be playing this Thursday night. It's an early gig. It's from 7 to 9 in an intimate setting at the Roadhouse, uh, which is a heritage house in the West End. And it's located at 1415 Barclay Street. And they'll be there this Thursday night. And if you are interested in purchasing tickets for that, please call 604 684 Seven zero four zero. That's six zero four six eight four seven zero four zero. And of course, that um, wonderful band with uh, Jody Miles and Bill is called Trilogy, and it's uh, intimate and wonderful uh, jazz music. And as I said, they'll be there from seven to nine p.m. this coming Thursday, which is uh, April tenth. Also, on Saturday evening, at the Seven Dining Lounge, which is located at 53 East Broadway, uh, the wonderful flutist, vocalist, and, uh, well, Miss Enthusiasm, uh, to the nth degree, the ebullient Holly Burke will be there with her band, The Naturals, and, of course, um, the people in that band are all some of Vancouver's finest musicians. They'll be performing there this Saturday evening starting at 8 p.m. at the Seven Dining Lounge. That's the new name. It used to be called something else, but it's at 53 East Broadway, uh, just um, west of Main Street. And there's a small cover charge of $10 to catch that. And of course, there's uh, great beverages there and, and good food as well. So that's Holly Burke and The Naturals. And we have one more thing to tell you about right now. And here it is. Uh, <laughs> much like life, uh, there's uh, darkness before the light. And um, this evening, of course, the clouds are going to come in, and it'll be completely clouding over, and rain will be beginning uh, overnight and continuing throughout the evening and into tomorrow uh, with a low of 10. And then tomorrow, periods of rain will end late in the afternoon. Then it's going to be simply cloudy with a low of 10 and a high of 12. But then there's a bit of a, a lift from Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. The weather's going to be quite pleasant and quite warm. It's a mix of sun and cloud with no precipitation in the forecast with lows between 6 and 13. And then on the weekend, on Saturday, well, as I said before, always light after darkness. Yes, sunny Saturday and Sunday, and it's getting warm. I mean, really warm for Vancouver, with the low, lows between 5 and highs between 8 
18 and 19. That's going to be suntan weather almost. That's great. And that shows that uh, things are changing. And uh, we're really going to be seeing um, springtime uh, by the weekend. So it looks really good Saturday and Sunday. All right. One of the greatest, well, greatest, is, is a term which is always used in, in jazz, overused, as a matter of fact. And as a matter of fact, I dislike that term. One of the major voices of the tenor saxophone, I call him the second messiah of jazz after Louis Armstrong. Louis Armstrong was the first great soloist in jazz music. He put the, the jazz solo at the center of things. The arrangement was one thing, but the jazz solo made the music. And Louis Armstrong was one of the first, if not the first, great soloist. And Lester Young, the president, Lester Young was really the second messiah of jazz because uh, the tenor saxophone was influenced by the great Coleman Hawkins, and everyone played like Coleman Hawkins, um, even ones that developed their own personalities, like uh, a Happy Caldwell, um, Ben Webster, uh, Chew Berry. They all played out of the Coleman Hawkins style of tenor saxophone. But all of a sudden, this man, Lester Young, came along and had a whole different approach to the instrument. And, of course, he suffered for his individualism. Lester Young was uh, somebody. Sonny Rollins once said that he felt that Lester Young was from a different planet, and uh, he was only here for a short visit. Um, And the thing about Lester Young is that (laughs) he influenced just about every modern tenor saxophone player except that Lester was really began his career in the swing era um, in the in the mid 30s but all the young players that were coming up in the 40s like Stan Getz, Zoot Sims, Alan Eager, Brew Moore, Dexter Gordon, Sonny Stitt when he switched over to tenor, uh, John Coltrane, Sonny Rollins were all influenced by Lester Young. Lester Young was also Charlie Parker's major influence. And Lester was, as I said, a very laid-back individual and a person who was totally unique. He had his, his own way of talking. He created a lot of expressions that we use today that uh, make us sound very hip. Um, Lester just started using them, and they're used to this day. For instance, uh, the expression uh, cool, that was really started by Lester Young. (laughs) He just, back in the 30s, somebody said, how do you like that? And he said, yeah, that's cool. And, of course, that expression had never been used before. Of course, everybody uses that expression today. Lester Young started all this kind of stuff. There's a whole lexicon of expressions that Lester started, but also his style. And Lester, of course, unfortunately, in the 50s, kind of succumbed to uh, long-term alcoholism and and had a a slow decline in the 50s and died. He was 49 when he passed away. And um, sad to say, a lonely, um, unhappy man who saw all these musicians copying what he originated and him getting 
very little recognition for it. Although, after, of course, his passing, everyone said, oh, Lester Young, yeah. Anyhow, um, that's, an, that's an old story. We're going to hear some peak Lester Young that he did before um, his induction in the Army. Actually, <laughs> Lester was such a maverick, he avoided um, uh, the American draft was happening, of course, because the Second World War was going on in the 40s. And, of course, they were drafting all kinds of people. And Lester Young had successfully avoided the draft by just simply disappearing, uh, not answering letters, uh, changing his address, all that kind of stuff. And eventually it caught up with him. Uh, he was in a club, and a wonderful jazz fan came over and and befriended Lester, bought him drinks and that kind of thing. As it turned out, the guy was an MP for the Army. And, of course, Lester got arrested and was made to do Army duty. And, of course, this was a totally traumatic experience for Lester Young. Uh, it's a long story. Uh, he was court-martialed. He was dishonorably discharged. Um, a really, really sad story because he never should have uh, gone into the army. This was recorded, these four tunes were recorded just before he was um, drafted into the army. Um, uh, and he was in a very happy state of mind. And these are some of his most wonderful recordings. We're going to hear four tracks um, that are fairly long and with a, with a wonderful band, including... Uh, the great Italian pianist Johnny Guineri, who plays in the style of Count Basie, but still maintains his own individuality. Slam Stewart, one of the finest bass players of his era, and one of the greatest of all drummers, who was the, uh, the major influence of Philly Joe Jones, Sid Catlett, Big Sid Catlett. So these four tunes were recorded um, in New York City the 28th of December, 1943. With Lester Young on tenor saxophone, we begin with Just You, Just Me, and a great old standard. Another wonderful standard written by Gus Kahn called I Never Knew. And then um, a tune written by Lester Young called simply Afternoon of a Basieite, because that was his history, was in the Count Basie band. And then the real classic that just about every saxophone player, piano players, trumpet players copied Lester's wonderful improvisation on a tune by Vincent Humans and Irving Caesar called Sometimes I'm Happy. So here then is prime Lester Young. Thank mm-hmm. you. 
Recorded before his unhappy induction into the U.S. Army, and uh, it was a horrible time for Lester Young, sensitive and eccentric man, and his beautiful saxophone on these pieces, these uh, four pieces, with Johnny Guineri on piano, Slam Stewart on bass, and the great Sid Catlett on drums. We heard uh, three standards and an original. So we began with uh, Just You, Just Me, and uh, followed that with I Never Knew, and then uh, Lester's original called simply Afternoon of a Basieite, and then the final tune, which is, of course, is a, a classic, his version of Vincent Newman's Sometimes I'm Happy. Sometimes I'm happy, sometimes I'm blue. Uh, before we get into the next segment, actually, uh, we're going to play... Um, an excerpt from the original Sound of Jazz telecast. Last week we played the um, rehearsal for that famed TV show, probably one of the most famous TV shows ever uh, about jazz music. This is from the actual soundtrack. The sound quality isn't as good as the rehearsal, which was done in the Columbia Studios, but uh, this was taken off the uh, 
off the tape of the soundtrack, and this features uh, some great musicians. We'll talk about that in, in, in a second, but I'd just like to congratulate the people of Quebec because I was born in Montreal and spent a lot of time there when I was a young man. I was born in Montreal, raised in Montreal and, and New York City, but Montreal has a special place in my heart, and Quebec does too. And I'm so happy that Pauline Morois and her Parti Québécois went down in flames. And uh, the voters of Quebec voted for the Quebec Liberal Party, which is definitely not a separatist party. And uh, so we can thank whatever and whoever for that. The voters of Quebec spoke their mind, and obviously separation is not an issue anymore. It's dead, gone, and uh, won't, hopefully won't be revived in our lifetime. C'est bien, Québec. All right. We'll get to this music. This is um, there's a little bit of conversation before this. A few words from Billy, and um, this is Billy Holiday with the All Stars, uh, with her man Lester Young on tenor saxophone, who is here. Uh, and both Billy and Lester were in the latter part of their lives. They they died very closely uh, um, together, and. Uh, uh, they were great friends. Um, there was aspersions that they were lovers. They were never lovers. Lester Young had his own love life, and Billie Holiday had hers. And uh, they were just wonderful friends and compatriots. They they understood one another. They were they were soulmates um, without necessarily being lovers. Uh, and um, this is possible. Anything's possible in the world. This is Billy Holiday with a great uh, group of musicians, Roy Eldridge and Doc Cheatham on trumpets, Vic Dickinson on trombone, uh, three of the finest tenor saxophonists in the world, Coleman Hawkins, Ben Webster, and Lester Young, the president. On baritone saxophone, the one and only Jerry Mulligan. On piano, Mel Waldron. He was actually the leader and arranger of this. Danny Barker is on guitar. Milt Hinton is on bass. And O.C. Johnson on drums. And the order of the solos are, we hear Billy, then we hear Ben Webster. He's followed by Lester Young. And then another chorus by Billy. Then the trombonist Vic Dickinson. And then he's followed by Jerry Mulligan. Then another chorus by Billy with Doc Cheatham, Coleman Hawkins, Roy Eldridge, and then Billy Holiday closing the tune. This is her classic uh, blues, fine and mellow, recorded on this wonderful uh, soundtrack of this great TV show, The Sound of Jazz. Billy Holiday. It's one of a handful of really great jazz singers. Her blues are poetic, highly intense. Playing with her here today are some of the musicians who accompanied her back in the 30s and some of the greatest jazz records ever made. Among the musicians, Roy Eldridge and Doc Cheatham on trumpets, Coleman Hawkins, Lester Young and Ben, <coughs> ben Webster on saxophone, Vic Dickinson on trombone, Jerry Mulligan on baritone sax, Mal Waldron at the piano, Milt Hinton, Hinton on bass, Danny Barker on guitar, and O.C. Johnson on the drums. Billy Holiday. 
the blues to me is like being very sad, very sick, going to church, being very happy. There's two, two kinds of blues. There's happy blues and there's sad blues. I don't think I ever sing the same way twice. I don't think I ever sing the same tempo. One night's a little bit slower, next night is a little bit brighter. That's kind of how I feel. I don't know, the blues is sort of a mixed up thing. You just have to feel it. Anything I, I do sing, it's, it's part of my life. My man don't love me He treats me oh so mean My man He don't love me he treats me awful mean He's the lowest man That I've ever seen
From the original TV soundtrack, that, of course, was the immortal Billie Holiday, a lady we'll be celebrating on the jazz feature. Today would be her 99th birthday. 
And uh, Billie Holiday was born in Baltimore, Maryland on this day in 1915. So here she was with the All-Stars, the Mel Waldron All-Stars, with uh, her uh, main man, her pianist, Mel Waldron, at the piano, with all these great uh, musicians, Roy Eldridge on trumpet, Doc Cheatham on trumpet, uh, Vic Dickinson on trombone, three of the finest and most innovative tenor saxophonists, Coleman Hawkins, Ben Webster, and her dear friend, the president, Lester Young, Jerry Mulligan on baritone saxophone, Danny Barker on guitar, Milt Hinton on bass, and O.C. Johnson on drums. And we heard uh, a few words from the host of the show and a few words from Billy before we got into her classic, Fine and Mellow. That's a blues that she wrote. And uh, I remember watching this show. Um, I think I, I mentioned last week I, I was with a group of, I was still in high school at the time, and uh, uh, I went to a friend's house with a bunch of high school guys from my class, and uh, I, I insisted on watching the show. And I should have stayed home and watched it at home because it would have been a lot better. And, of course, these guys in the class, they weren't all that interested in the music and what was going on. And, of course, they were constantly interrupting, making remarks about the appearance of people and all this kind of stuff. And it was a big distraction. Uh, I've since seen, of course, the soundtrack. And it's very easily available on, on, on YouTube now of the whole show. But... Um, uh, yeah, I do remember that, and I, I was—I uh, got angry a few times, but I had to kind of restrain myself because I realized these were, you know, folks that weren't all that interested in the music that I had already fallen in love with, and and uh, these people were were for me musical idols, each and every one of them, and um, it, so it kind of hurt to uh, listen to the offhand remarks and uh, he's a funny-looking guy or look at this guy and ha ha ha, you know. The way kids operate. Anyway, that's an old story. We're going to celebrate two more birthdays before we get into our jazz feature. And today is the the birth. These guys were born on the same day uh, in the same year. And uh, I'm talking about one of the giants of the trumpet. I'm talking about Freddie Hubbard. And I'm also talking about one of my favorite drummers, Pete LaRocca. Pete LaRocca. They were both born... April 7th, 1938, and they're on this particular record date. And this, for me, is one of Freddie Hubbard's finest dates. It shows his ability not only as a trumpet player, but as a composer as well. And he put together this incredible band uh, with um, James Spaulding on alto saxophone, who has always been a favorite of mine, underrated, and James is still alive, uh, very much alive and performing. and the legendary Hank Mobley on tenor saxophone, and another uh, friend of mine, Kenny Zawadi, who plays the euphonium on here. Euphonium is a, a band instrument. It's like a small tuba. And uh, although Kenny doesn't solo on here, he adds to the ensemble sound, fills it out. On piano, the incredible McCoy Tyner. On bass, Bob Cranshaw. And the two birthday uh, fellows, Freddie Hubbard on trumpet and Pete LaRocca on drums. And this is one of Freddie's, um, to me, one of his uh, finest compositions. This is a, a piece of music called Outer Forces. So happy birthday to Freddie Hubbard and to Pete LaRocca.
Happy birthday to both Freddie Hubbard, the leader who played trumpet on this, and that was his composition, and the drummer on the date, Pete LaRocca. They were both born in 1938. Pete was born in New York, and uh, Freddie was born in Indianapolis, Indiana, April 7th, 1938. Both uh, gentlemen were born under the sign of Aries. And uh, we heard one of Freddie's finest compositions in a, a great band that he assembled for this date. This is from a Blue Note album, one of my favorites by Freddie. It's kind of overlooked, unfortunately. I don't know why, but it's, uh, I've loved this album since, uh, ever since I first bought the vinyl. Uh, the album is called Blue Spirits, and it features uh, two bands, uh, the band we just heard and another group of musicians as well. Uh, all the compositions are great, and Freddie did all the arranging and writing and all that stuff. And uh, this one, uh, this piece of music was called Outer Forces. And the people involved in the band, of course, as I mentioned, Freddie Hubbard on trumpet, James Spaulding on alto saxophone, 
and Hank Mobley, the legendary Hank Mobley on tenor saxophone, Kenny Zawadi filling out the ensemble on euphonium, McCoy Tyner at the piano, Bob Cranshaw on bass, and of course the other gentleman who was celebrating a birthday, Pete LaRocca on drums, the late Pete LaRocca. Freddie Hubbard, all right. There's a few other birthdays today too, but uh, those are a couple of very important ones. And of course, the birthday of our jazz feature artist, Billie Holiday, but we'll get to her in just a moment. Um, jazz feature is coming right up. Just like to remind you that you are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker, and uh, we have uh, more to come for the, uh, for the final hour. And, of course, uh, it is jazz feature time. So we'll get to that in just a moment. Just a couple of mentions, uh, a couple of great websites to get onto. The website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society. Uh, that's an important website. And, of course, uh, very, very comprehensive. And uh, they have, of course, they are coming up to the Jazz Festival. There's all kinds of announcements that have already been made. And um, more to come. And... Uh, we will uh, be talking more about the, uh, the Jazz Festival as uh, it gets a little closer. There's some important people coming. Bobby McFerrin. Uh, we have people uh, like Charles Lloyd coming. Um, Maceo Parker. Uh, Medeski, Schofield, Martin, and Wood. Um, an evening with the great Cuban trumpeter, Arturo Sandoval. And if you've never heard Sandoval in person, he is just amazing uh, in terms of trumpet and, and his presentation. Uh, unbelievable. And, of course, the, uh, the Japanese piano sensation, Hiromi, will be coming. But anyway, get on to the um, uh, Coastal Jazz website. There's uh, all kinds of uh, things on there, it's very comprehensive, and you can check out the calendar, uh, all the um, particular um, events and uh, venues. Uh, this uh, places like the Vogue Theater, which will be presented uh, uh, presenting uh, great concerts, and also um, the Fortune Sound Club, and of course other venues, performance works, and all that kind of stuff. And so. Uh, a major uh, announcement of all, once everything gets totally finalized, uh, there'll be a major announcement for the uh, Jazz Festival this year. So it'll be, as always, um, a wide-ranging, uh, eclectic event, and uh, lots of fun, and lots of great music. Um, and, of course, the website is the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society. CoastalJazz.ca, another great website, of course, uh, very informative, lots of links on that one, is the one, website of my good friend Brian Nation, that's VancouverJazz.com, and there's always links on that particular site. Um, just like to repeat a couple of things that I did earlier, Trilogy, wonderful band with Jody Prosnick, Miles Black, and Bill Kuhn will be playing an intimate concert at the Roadhouse, which is a heritage home in the West End, one of the few that's left, beautiful, beautiful place, at 1415 Barclay Street. They'll be playing there from 7 to 9 p.m., and uh, you can get tickets if you call 604 uh, 684-7040. 604-684-7040. And 
my friend, the ebullient Holly Burke, flutist, singer, and jazz personality, and her band, The Naturals, will be playing Saturday evening at 8 p.m. at the Seven Dining Lounge, which is located at 53 East Broadway. And tickets for that are only $10, and they have a full range of um, alcoholic and non-alcoholic beverages and, and good food there as well. So that's at 53 East Broadway. Holly Burke and The Naturals. One more thing. My friend Ken Speller, um, I always mention Ken, uh, he's a, a wonderful uh, saxophone player, uh, reed player, flute player, all that kind of stuff, but he's a woodwind repairman, like he, he repairs musical instruments, and that's, uh, that's an art in itself. Some people have made careers out of being top-notch repairmen, and if Ken didn't do anything else, he could certainly make a career out of that alone. He's that good. And uh, if you play the clarinet, the saxophone, the flute, uh, any woodwind instrument, Ken Speller is the guy that will keep your instruments in shape. Uh, he'll check them out and uh, do what is needed to do. Tune them up, uh, overhaul them, whatever. And his prices are extremely re- reasonable because he, has, he doesn't have a store overhead to worry about. He does it all from home. He has his whole workshop all set up from home, all the appropriate tools, all that kind of stuff. And he knows what he's doing, believe me. So he's at uh, 778-800-1933, 778-800-1933. Ken is located in North Vancouver, 13th and Lonsdale across the bridges. And um, you can reach him uh, via Email as well, which is kspeller, K-S-P-E-L-L-E-R, underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. Our jazz feature tonight is the music of the one and only Billie Holiday. She would uh, be celebrating her 99th anniversary. As I said, she was born in Baltimore, Maryland, um, on this day in 1915. Um, Had a a rather horrible, uh, abusive young life but somehow overcame all of that stuff and began recording in 1933 and, of course, established herself as, as um, someone that musicians liked. Uh, she had a voice that was very small range, and it was untrained. Um, she simply sang, and, and it, it somehow registered um, and... and she endeared herself, of course, to, to uh, and, and got the respect of musicians. A lot of singers, of course, stand in front of the band, and musicians are kind of, well, they're paid to play sort of thing. But with Billie Holiday, they were, the, the musicians were just scrambling to be able to record with her and do gigs with her. She had that kind of respect. By the end of, uh, she... Um, had a contract with Columbia Records, and the great John Hammond opened a lot of doors for Billy, um, and uh, she was uh, quite successful and did some amazing recordings for Columbia in the 30s. But um, Hammond got her a gig at a place called the Cafe Society in New York, which was an upscale place and Billy was uh, by that time she was a star and she came upon a tune that was written by um, a Jewish fellow uh, called Abel Mirapol and he wrote this tune called Strange Fruit. It was a tune 
that was grim. It was a dirge. It was about lynchings in the southern state states. And and Billy took to this tune and and began performing it to for people to uh, an incredible emotional reaction. Um, and she wanted to record it, so she went to Columbia Records, and they turned her down. Uh, Columbia said, "Well, no, we've got, uh, we can't do that. We've got uh, sponsors in the South. We got uh, investors. We can't do this. Uh, this will offend people." Uh, and then she went to John Hammond. John Hammond said, "No, Billy, don't record this tune. If you do, you're going to be stuck with it for the rest of your life." So she went to a man who she had befriended by the name of Milton Gabler. He was owned a record store and ran a small record label. And somehow in the Columbia contract, she was allowed to do a couple of independent recordings. And so Gabler figured this out, looked at the contract, and said, Yeah, I can record you, and I will record Strange Fruit. I'll put it out, and um, I'll give you a recording session with your band and uh, Strange Fruit and and uh, three other tunes. Uh, and this was in April of 1939, and Billy, of course, went for it. Ironically enough, with all the forbidden stuff, Strange Fruit became one of Billy Holiday's greatest hits. And it was put out on a 78 RPM record with the original version of Billy's Blues, Fine and Mellow, on the other side. And this was a hit record, played all over jukeboxes, all over the United States. So that's what we're going to hear. That's the opening. So we're going to hear the four tunes from this initial session done in April 1939. Uh, Billy with her band, um, with uh, Sonny White on piano, and the leader, Frankie Newton, on trumpet. This was the band that worked with her at the Cafe Society. And uh, a great band, nice arrangements and uh, put together by Frankie Newton and pianist Sonny White. And there's other people in the band. They're not that well-known, so I'm not even going to mention them. The main star is Miss Holiday. So we'll hear the first four tunes from the 1939 session. The next session takes place in 1944, in March of 1944. Uh, and we're going to hear Billy with a small band led by trumpeter Doc Cheatham. Uh, with Vic Dickinson on trombone, Le- Lem Davis, alto saxophone, and the pianist and arranger, the great Eddie Haywood, uh, and some other people in the band. Uh, John Simmons on bass, Big Sid Catlett on drums. And by that time, uh, Billy's uh, Columbia contract was over, so she was able to freely record for this Commodore label. So there are four more tunes done in March of 44. Then in April of 44, the same personnel, Uh, She did another recording session, four more tunes. And the final Commodore recording session uh, was in April 8th, 1944. She did four uh, tunes with just the trio, with Eddie Haywood on piano, John Simmons on bass, and Sid Catlett on drums. So there are 16 tunes in all. We begin with, of course, the dirge and the incredible, uh, incredibly emotional tune, Strange Fruit. That's followed by the Jerome Kern uh, classic, Yesterdays, followed by Billy's first version of her tune, Fine and Mellow, and then a great tune called I Got a Right to Sing the Blues. That's from 1939. The next session, she does a tune called How Am I to Know, My Old Flame, I'll Get By, and I Cover the Waterfront. And then we go to April 44, a great tune, I'll Be Seeing You. I'm Yours. A wonderful version of the Gershwin's Embraceable You and the classic As Time Goes By.
And the final session uh, with just the trio with Eddie Haywood, he's funny that way. Uh, Lover Come Back to Me, another Billy Holiday original, Billy's Blues, and finally On the Sunny Side of the Street. So here then is our jazz feature, the finest, I think, recordings of Billy Holiday. Happy birthday, Miss Holiday.
with fascinating ways of fascinating gaze in their eyes some who sent me up to the skies but their attempts at love were only imitations of my own flame I can't even think of his name but I'll never be the same until I discover what became of my own Thank you. 
chestnut trees The wishing Say we were 
Man. 
I'm alive, I say I don't I love my man I'm alive, I say I don't But I'll quit my man I'm alive, I say I won't slave baby ever since I've been your baby I've been your slave ever since I've been your babe but before I'll be your dog I'll see you in your grave Wouldn't give me no dinner Squawked about my supper Then he put me outdoors Had the nerve to lay A matchbox on my clothes I didn't have so many But I had a long, long ways to go
Jazz feature tonight celebrating the 99th anniversary of one of the greatest singers in jazz music, Billie Holiday. Of course, uh, she is called by so many people the voice of jazz, and somehow she really represented that. Um, she had that cry in her voice, and and uh, um, she had the respect of all the musicians she worked with, and. Uh, um, an incredible career, lots of ups and downs and uh, so on and so forth, but uh, many, many triumphs as well. And these recordings were done for the small independent Commodore label, and her mentor on here was the producer of these dates, a gentleman named Milton Gabler, who um, understood Billy and said, you do what you want, record what you want. And um, that's how these recordings came about. So we heard a whole bunch of them. Uh, beginning with the first four, uh, which were recorded in 1939 with her band that uh, was appearing at the Cafe Society. That was a major gig for Billy, and the band was led by a trumpeter named Frankie Newton did the arrangements. Sonny White was another arranger, the pianist. Anyway, we heard Strange Fruit, uh, Yesterday's Fine and Mellow, which was her classic blues, and I've Got a Right to Sing the Blues, um, an old standard. Then we moved to 1944 uh, with a band led by trumpeter Doc Cheatham with the Eddie Haywood uh, was her pianist arranger at the time. She did How Am I to Know, My Old Flame, I'll Get By, and I Cover the Waterfront, four great standards. Then we heard the um, same band uh, on a little later date in 1944 in April, I'll Be Seeing You, I'm Yours, uh, the Gershwin Standard, Embraceable You, and of course, As Time Goes By. 
uh, a perennial favorite. And then we heard two tunes with just the trio with uh, Eddie Haywood at the piano, John Simmons on bass, Big Sid Catlett on drums, Billy's Blues, and the final tune on the sunny side of the street. So that was our jazz feature tonight, Miss Billy Holiday, born in Baltimore, Maryland, on this day in 1915 and passed away in 1959. Our jazz feature artist next week, it's another birthday, actually, one of the great um, formidable tenor saxophonists, one of my favorites. This is going to be a concert recording done in Sweden, and the recording is by the great Gene Ammons, Chicago-born wonder of the tenor saxophone. So that's going to be our jazz feature next week. So we're going to say goodnight. Stay tuned now for, uh, for Shea and a great show coming up. And uh, we hope you enjoyed the jazz show on CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker. We'll see you in seven days' time. Take care and uh, have a great week. Bye-bye. Yeah.